Well, I'm talking about the healing scriptures that's on the card out there in the foyer. They're available free. These scriptures are also online. You can uh, download them to your device or you can print them yourself, however you'd like to do. And there's quite a number, front and back. And um, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to get these and begin every day to just say these scriptures. Now, you're going to cover these in a way that will uh, affect your faith. It will affect your mind. It will bring mind renewal. It will bring the spiritual force of faith to another level in your life. And you might say some of these and immediately your flesh or perhaps even the devil might tell you, well, that's not happening for you. That doesn't look like that it's working for you now. You just have to put all that in its place under your feet. Forget that. And just focus on the Word. Because the Word of God will change your physical body. The Word of God is described in the very first uh, scripture that we give in this card. Proverbs 4 verses 20 through 22. God's Word is medicine. And I don't think any of us would go to a doctor and get a prescription. And go and get it filled. Take it home. And take one dose. And think, well, that's all I need. Almost no medicine is like that. I mean, there may be a few, but, but most of the time we understand the process. And we understand that the medicine is working even if we don't feel anything. You know, you might have, most everybody's taken some kind of a pill or medication in their life. And you probably remember that when you first swallowed it, you didn't feel any different. You didn't look any different. There was no evidence that you even had any medicine in you because you swallowed it. You couldn't see it anymore, couldn't feel of it anymore, couldn't taste it. It's already gone. But it was working in you. It was working in you. And that's what the Word of God does in us. It works in us. And it's always working as long as we are abiding in Christ and we are ourselves believing His Word and not contradicting it. One of the things we have to learn to do is not allow doubt or unbelief to come out of our mouth. Now, doubt's going to bombard your mind. I can promise you that. The devil's going to do his best to talk you out of your faith because he knows if he talks you out of your faith, he talks you out of your ability to receive. And so that's where he attacks, in the mind, between the ears. That's really the great spiritual battleground for most of us. Most of us are not battling super-duper devils, you know, that, that are dominating maybe entire cities or something. I'm not saying there's no place for that kind of spiritual um, vigilance. But for most of us, most of the time, the battle that we battle most is right between our ears. And when we win that battle of the mind, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, Second Corinthians 10, when we begin to do that and then we... Um, we are uh, proactive in our confession of faith, we make ourselves speak the Word of God, then we are invincible. We, we get to the place where what we're saying is coming to pass in our lives. Amen. So don't allow doubt or any kind of negativity or unbelief to get you to nullify your confession of faith. And when those thoughts come, and they will come, cast them down. How do you do that? With words. Words always trump thoughts. 
I don't care what you're thinking about. If you start saying something else, your mind will have to follow your words. That's, that's the way God made humans. That's the way we're constructed. And so we, you can take your tongue, and it's just like James says this. It's like the rudder on a ship. It's like the bits in the horse's mouth. The tongue provides direction. And I know we say a lot about that. And I know we cover this over and over and over and over again. Maybe some of you get tired of hearing it. But this is where the action of faith begins. And this is necessary. All the other stuff that you might think about involved with spiritual living. All of that's not going to do you much good if you don't master this basic. And you have to keep on doing it. Keep on keeping on. I would encourage you to use these scriptures every day, and you don't have to really try to memorize them, but use them every day, and you'll find you'll begin to memorize. You'll start knowing what's next without even reading it, and it'll begin to roll out of you and come out of you because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. And so we've covered a number of these, and today brings us uh, to the book of John, chapter 14 and verse number 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12, and that's on the back side of the card. So as we're making progress, we're getting close to the end of our list. But it says, and these are the words of Jesus, they're in red in your Bible, verily, verily, or truly, truly. We know that Jesus never lied. Nobody ever caught him in a lie. He never did tell a lie. So this is here for emphasis. He is emphasizing what he's getting ready to say. So he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, <coughs> excuse me, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. How many believers are in here tonight? So he's talking about us. So when you read your Bible, you need to always put yourself in there in the proper place. This is a scripture for you, not just for preachers, not just for a few select saints that have done this or that or the other thing that we might think is spiritual or good, but this is for believers. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. There's a good bit in this verse. Number one, I want you to think about the works that Jesus did. Now, I think it was last week or the prior week before that. I don't remember now which. But we covered Matthew 9.35, which basically tells us the works that Jesus did. It says he went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So we know the works of Jesus, primarily teaching, preaching, and healing. And he says believers are going to do these things. Now that doesn't mean every believer is going to pastor a church. Every believer is going to get on television. Or every believer is going to be a traveling evangelist per se. But every one of us can teach what we know. Share the truth that we understand. And every one of us can proclaim. Because that's basically what preaching is. We can proclaim the truth that we know from the Word of God, and every believer can be involved <clears throat> in the ministry of healing. And we're going to see a little bit more about that as we go along. So don't ever think that you just always have to bring people to church to get them ministered to. 
You can minister in the produce aisle. You can minister at the, at the Jiffy Lube. You can minister uh, at the ball game in the bleachers. Amen. You can, when people start telling you their needs and they start telling you what's wrong, what I would encourage you to do, <clears throat> unless you just absolutely get some kind of a check that you shouldn't, then I would encourage you to go for it right there and then. Grab their hand and say, let's pray. Now, they may not be, have gotten, they might not have been expecting that. And they may not be fully ready for that kind of response, but you need to be proactive and you need to take them into a place where maybe they have never been before. And you might think, well, I don't know if that'll do any good or not. It will. It'll do good on a lot of levels. And so don't wait and then forget it, but do it right then. Amen. And so we can minister. And Jesus said, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these. And it's amazing how people get hung up on the greater works. And I, I, I've, it seems that people get all, uh, you know, wondering, what are the greater works? I want to know about the greater works. Is anybody doing the greater works? They're not even doing the works yet. I don't think that greater works here means greater in magnitude or quality than Jesus did. I believe it's simply the fact that the church would reach more people and greater works would be in quantity. In quantity. Because it's theoretically possible today for any number of ministers through the modern means of communications that we have to actually preach to more people at one time than Jesus ever preached to in any crowd he ministered to. Even though he ministered to some very large crowd, crowds of thousands of people. But uh, there are ministers today who are reaching hundreds of thousands, even millions of people weekly with the truth of the gospel. Greater works than these shall they do. And also another idea about that is the fact that Jesus never in his earthly ministry prior to the cross, he never ministered the new birth to anyone because it wasn't available. I didn't say no one was saved back then, but I'm saying that they weren't born again in the New Testament sense until that was available, and that wasn't available until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that would be a greater work. And also, there were manifestations of the Spirit that never occurred in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of tongues with interpretation of tongues and how God made a big deal out of it. Sometimes people accuse us, Pentecostal folks, charismatic folks, that we make a big deal out of it, we make too much out of it. Well, God made a big deal out of it. He gave him the Great Commission, but he said, don't go do it until you are endued or clothed upon with power from on high. And when they got their spiritual clothing, they got another language. They began to speak with other tongues. And so... That's something we can think about and meditate about on the greater works that he said. But notice that he also said, because I go unto my Father. And that's, that is a link to what Jesus knew was going to come, the Holy Ghost in his fullness. He knew that it was necessary that he go back to the Father, assume his place of priestly ministry, his place of intercessory ministry, 
his place as Lord, head over the church, seated at the right hand of the Father. He knew that would be necessary for him to do that. And by the way, he's not on vacation. He hasn't been resting for 2,000 years. He is forever our high priest at the right hand of the Father. But he knew that until he went there for that ministry, the present-day ministry of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit would not come in his fullness. And so he's making reference here when he says, because I go unto my Father, he's making reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to take a little bit of time, not much, but a little bit of time to show you some of the context and, and take a little side journey or two here in this passage, because I think it'll help us. In, uh, if you will, back up to the 8th verse, 8th verse of John chapter 14. It says, Philip, and that's you know, one of the 12, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, or it'll satisfy us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now, he didn't mean that he was his own father. He meant the oneness of the, of the Godhead caused that any one of, of the triune being is going to be exactly a representation of the other as well. Though there are different purposes and different uh, ways they might manifest, he was so at one with his father and so in unity and in such obedience to the will of the father, you could basically say that if you saw Jesus, you've seen the Father. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? If you have, you've seen Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So when he says, I will, to the leper who came and said, you can make me clean if you will. And he said, I will. When he commanded demons and devils and they left, when he laid his hands on the little children, when he laid his hands on the leper, when he ministered to the needs of people, when he fed the hungry, all those things he did, that was a picture of the heart of the Father and the will of God for our lives. Hallelujah. We have a good God, a wonderful Father. He said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Notice the words spoken, and then he refers to works. The Word works. The Word does the work. We mentioned earlier about that, our very first scripture in this series, Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. God's Word is medicine. And it works. And it works in us if we continue to put it in there and hold it there and keep it there. Praise the Lord. And so he goes on to say in verse 11, <clears throat> Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. In other words, if you, uh, uh, if you look at what I do, that should produce a degree of believing in you. The very work's sake. And then he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Now, if Jesus said that his works gave them reason to believe in what the Father wanted to do for them, 
then he's basically saying in verse 12 that the church of today should also have works that would cause people to see God in us. I was talking to Nick the other day. We were talking about these things, about the Holy Spirit, the move of the Spirit in church services. And I made the statement. I said, I'm not called to be a cruise director. I'm called to be a minister. I'm not called to think up ways to occupy people. And before I made that uh, smart-alecky statement, which was true, I made this statement, and I believe it with all my heart. I said, churches that will not make room for the Holy Ghost and not allow the Spirit of God to move, they have to come up with something else in order to attract people and in, in order to satisfy people, if you will, in coming to church, give them a reason for coming. But I found that my ideas are never enough. And I've also noticed in the church world that all the programs and fads that are basically carnal and man-made stuff, not that they're all together wrong, but when people don't allow the Holy Spirit to move, they've got to come up with something to take up the slack. And you do certain things for a while, and if it's not in the Spirit, then people get tired of it. And you got to keep coming up with some new thing, and some new program, and some new emphasis, and some new whatever. And I'm so thankful that if we will just seek God first in His kingdom, if we will be open to and make room for the Holy Ghost, that He will always be fresh. He'll always be alive. He'll always be new. And that doesn't mean we don't do some things. That doesn't mean that, that everything else we would do is, is of no value. But what it means is you keep the main thing the main thing. You keep that which is most valuable in its most valuable place. And I'm telling you, if we'll follow the Holy Ghost, He will do miracles among us. We'll have more and more and more testimonies about people healed of cancer and people healed of this, that, and the other. Because there's nothing too hard for God. And I can't make those things happen with my programs, but God can make those things happen. Praise the Lord. So he goes on then to say, and verse 13, if you look at that verse, so there's a conjunction here. He's not through talking, so it would be good for us to uh, read what's coming next. He says, and whatsoever ye shall ask, or that word could also be translated demand or require. Whatsoever you shall ask or demand or require in my name. Many people look at this verse and they think it's prayer, but this is not a prayer verse. As a matter of fact, the verse that probably sometimes people think about and confuse with this one is actually John chapter 16 and verse number 23. And I'll read it for you. Where Jesus said, in that day, he was talking to believers, uh, you know, his disciples about the day that was going to come after he finished the work of redemption and he was going back to the Father, he said, or we might say in the church age, our day right now, he said, in that day, everybody say, that's now. now. Ye shall ask me nothing. He's not contradicting what he said in John 14, 13, because there are two different things here. I know it's translated ask, but in, in this particular passage, uh, in John 16, 23, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask, what? Who? The Father. 
in my name, he will give it you. And he goes on to say, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. That's prayer. That's prayer. But back in the 14th um, chapter where we were, and verse number 13, now notice the context. He's talking about doing his works. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever read in the four Gospels anywhere where Jesus prayed a prayer, anything like this? Father, if it's your will, we really, we really hope, if it's your will, in your own good time, in your own good way, would you heal, you know, Hezekiah, or would you heal Zechariah, or would you hear, uh, heal Zephaniah, or any of those other ayahs, or anybody else? No, you don't ever find that, do you? Jesus didn't go into those meetings unprepared. Now, he prayed, and he prayed a lot. We know he even prayed at times all night long. But he wasn't praying about all those individual people necessarily. He was preparing himself to be able to do the will of God. And when he went into those meetings and all those multitudes were there, he, he moved and acted with such authority that even the demons had to obey him. And even when they would try to cry out, he could make them shut up. He could deal with them properly. What was he doing? He was commanding he was requiring. And that's what he says you and I can do here in John 14, 13. Whatsoever you shall require, whatsoever you shall demand in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall require or demand anything in my name, I will do it. So you see, prayer is to the Father. Jesus taught us we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus. We can communicate with Jesus. We can talk to Jesus. We can praise Jesus. But we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. But when you're dealing with the devil, when you're dealing with an evil spirit, when you're dealing with an attack of the devil, when you're dealing with sickness, when you're dealing with disease, when you're dealing with pain... You don't necessarily, now you can pray, and you can pray the prayer of agreement, you can pray the prayer of faith about it, but you also, if you know who you are in Christ, and if you're mature in Christ enough that you understand your place and position, you can just tell the devil in Jesus' name, take his hands off, he's got to leave. You can put him in his place, which is under our feet. You can let him know that you know your place and who you are, and, and you can exercise authority. And so in our list of healing scriptures... Uh, we see that we have commanding authority in Jesus' name. Commanding authority in Jesus' name. And so whenever pain attacks you, sickness attacks you, any kind of manifestation of the devil, even the fear of death or fear of disease, uh, some kind of a spirit of infirmity, anything of that nature, you don't need to pray all night necessarily about that. You need to let the devil right quick know that you know he's defeated and run him off. You've got to run him off. Amen. So that is John 14, 12. Let's look at the next one then on our list. And this is in chapter 16 of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Let me go back and find it here in my Bible. And, uh, of course, in the list here, 
We only have, uh, let's see exactly, I think we have, um, I'll get it here in a minute. Let's see, John chapter, uh, Mark, Mark chapter 16, verses 15, 17 through 18. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that, now we don't have it, all these words printed out in a, on the card, but it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they, number one, cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Who is this talking to? Verse 16, he that believeth. So this is a whole lot like uh, John 14 uh, and verse number uh, 12 and 13. John, John 12, 14, 12. This is to believers, not just preachers, not just evangelists, not just to traveling ministers. But this is the great commission to the church and to every believer. And notice it's a commission to go into all the world and to every creature. Now we understand that all of us cannot go all the time into all the various parts of the earth. We know that we have assignments and we have lives to live. But we do understand that the church as at large, the church as a whole, the body of Christ, has the obligation to go into all the world. And even those of us who do not go, we need to, to understand that we are responsible to help send. Even in the New Testament, in, in those early days of the church, in, in Paul's uh, ministry, for instance, he commended the Philippians because he said, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And you sent once and again to my necessity. He said, not that I desire uh, a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And it was to those people who were givers, not just a one-time giver, but givers. And they were ongoing in their support of the gospel message being preached. It was to those people that Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so when we take the gospel to every creature, according to Mark's writings here, that gospel is a gospel of healing, of spiritual fullness, and authority over the devil. Now this verse isn't telling us that we need to go find snakes and play with them. I'm not a snake handler. I've known snake handlers in my lifetime. And uh, bless their heart, they were misguided. Uh, and a number of them have died over the years. Because Jesus is not saying here that we should go play with snakes. We have an example of this coming to pass in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. When the Apostle Paul landed on the island of Malta. And it was raining and cold and they built a fire there. And, and as, as he gathered up sticks to put on the fire, a viper came out and bit him on the hand. And you know what he did? He shook it off into the fire. Everybody was watching because they figured he'll be dead in a short time. And he didn't die. He didn't swell up. He didn't get sick. 
He didn't have to, you know, go to the hospital. They didn't have one, of course, but if they'd had one, he didn't have to go. And then they decided, you know, at first they said, well, he must be a murderer. And justice is not allowing him to live. You know, in other words, he escaped the sea, but the snake got him. Well, that didn't happen. They changed their mind. They said, he's a god. (laughs) He must be a god. And so, uh, anyway, if you get attacked, you've got victory. And if you've ever been to the third world, as it's called, and I don't know that that's a great term, but anyway, we understand that term, you know that you're glad this is in the Bible because you don't always know what you're eating. You don't always know what you're drinking. You don't know how sanitary everything is everywhere. And I don't mean that as an insult to anybody. It's just a fact that's the way that sometimes things are. But I'm glad that you can be healthy wherever you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, I'm really glad that scripture's in there right now. Praise the Lord. So, I want you to go now to Acts 14, Acts chapter 14, because what I want to take a a couple minutes with here is to emphasize this uh, command of Jesus in Mark 16, and I want to show you an example in the book of Acts of of this very uh, thing coming to pass. Acts chapter 14, and we will start with verse number 6. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. This is Paul and his company. And there they preached the what? The gospel. He was doing the Great Commission. He was going into all the world, his world, the world of that day. He was reaching out. He didn't just camp out in Jerusalem. He didn't just camp out in Antioch. He was going forth. And preaching the gospel. Now, notice that. That's very important. He preached the gospel. This is, we're going to see what the New Testament calls the gospel. Verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, that's the name of the place, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. So he's a lifelong cripple. He's a man, not a kid, not a boy. Uh, This is something he's lived with all of his life. The same heard Paul speak. What was Paul speaking? The gospel. Who steadfastly beholding him, Paul looked at the man, and perceiving there was a spiritual operation here, Paul knew that he had faith to be healed. Now let me ask you a question. Where do you get faith? From what you hear. So when Paul preached the gospel, he must have heard about healing. See, that's what I want you to see. You have not fully preached the gospel if you haven't preached divine healing. And I know that there are many wonderful people that would vehemently disagree with me. And some would even say that 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 borders on heresy. But you would have to take verses like this out of the Bible to not believe it. And you know, I've, I've learned that the Bible is right no matter who is wrong. There's an old chorus, I know the Bible is right. And then you answer and you respond and say, and somebody's wrong. 
I mean, even though that's true. So when we come to these, these issues like this, I like to get along. I want to get along. I want to be nice. I want to be well thought of. I want to, you know, all the things, just like any of us do. But you can't compromise truth. The gospel that Paul preached was a gospel of healing. The gospel this man at Lystra heard was a gospel of healing. And it produced such a faith in him that Paul could, uh, he, he perceived that that man had faith for healing. And he said with a loud voice, notice, said with a loud voice. Some people don't like preachers to get loud. Sometimes you need to. Not just to wake people up, but just sometimes you need to do that. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And you read what happened. He leaped, and he leaped and walked. He leaped and walked. And so we understand that the Great Commission includes divine healing. And so we believe for that. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. I think that I probably better stop there. I've got, we have, how many more scriptures we have here? We got one, two, three, four. We've got um, four more uh, passages. And uh, so we'll be able to get these completed, I think, before we take our missions trip to Uganda. Um, and I hope that, that these times are giving you something to think about. I, mean, I know these are not classical sermons per se and all of that but as we meditate together on these verses what you find is your your thinking expands your mind gets renewed your faith grows and 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 it becomes easier to believe than it does to doubt you'll know you're well on your way to total victory when it's easier to believe what God has said than it is to believe what you feel like or what your symptoms say or what the report of whoever says now we're not against uh, medicine, we're not against doctors, you know that. But they don't know it all and they can't do it all. But God can do it all. There's nothing too hard for Him. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, I bring before you not only those of us in this room, but I bring before you, Lord, all of those who watch this or who listen to this, even if it's a later date or a later time, we know the word is anointed. And so therefore, whenever someone hears this, you stand ready to confirm your word with signs following. And so, Father, I speak life. I speak healing. I speak authority in the name of Jesus over every person and against all sickness all disease and all manifestations of the enemy, every spirit of fear, every spirit of death, every spirit of infirmity, I come against you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 2,000 years ago, according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 15, Satan, you were defeated on the cross of Calvary. And you are now in that place of defeat just as much as you were at that moment. And so in Jesus' name, we serve notice upon you. Take your hands off God's property. Take your hands off the bodies 
and the minds of the people of God. And those who hear these words today, we speak healing and life and blessing into your body in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, would you say amen? Let's lift up our hands and praise the Lord for his healing power. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord.